Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And we are track walking. This week, we talk about what goes on in our heads at all times. Uh, we're not going to we're not going to talk about all of it because that would that would be terrifying. We need to narrow that down a little bit, I think. Yeah. So we the notion of this show is kind of taking a look at the mental, emotional, spiritual, physical aspect of race cars and driving and how that actually relates to our actual lives outside of race cars. And it's, I think, easily argued that racing cars is nearly a 100% mental sport. Sure, you need a body, you need you need to drive, so you need that physical aspect, but the acts of how you tell your body what to do and the thoughts that go through your head, it's primarily, largely a primarily mental sport. Would you agree? I can, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. I can, uh, I can especially agree that the last couple percent are 100% mental. Yes. Um, because yeah and and so the argument would be you know is is that first 50 or 70 or 80 percent is is that the mental part and you know you could go "Eh, that's like physical training like because you know teach you know having a three-year-old drive a race car would be hard because their arms are all floppy and they've got terrible (laughs) coordination (laughs) yeah you know, and you know the, what I mean. And you the temper I mean. tantrums would be... And that's the mental side of it, right? Because uh, we we all know adults that still have temper tantrums in race cars. And uh, th- that doesn't work out well for anybody. So I don't, uh, know. I don't know where I'm going with this. But definitely that last, that last you know, 10, 5, 2% are, are purely mental. You have to be in the right headspace. Um, not only when you're in the car, but prior to getting in the car and preparing the car and uh, dealing with the other people that you count on to uh, make this whole thing go around because nobody races in isolation. Right. Um, and so the idea is that how, how do we actually mentally control what we do? How do we mentally do the as- that aspect of driving? And the primary way is the way that we actually talk to ourselves in our heads. Everybody does it. You're not weird. And you're not even weird if you answer yourself. <laughs> that's <laughs> Right. That's, that's part of it. So we can, ta- we can talk about this aspect of self-talk, how we talk to ourselves. It doesn't have to be out loud. Most of the time it is completely in your head. And so we can basically, we can essentially start with before we even get to the track in preparation, how we prepare the car, how we get ready for a particular track, how we do or don't have all the spares we need, how you organize all these things. Um, In terms of me, when I prep, I like to, I'm a planner. So I need to have. Are you a, are you a are you a list guy? Do you have the list, or I, is it or oddly is it enough? Planning? I don't have as many lists as I probably should because I think that takes some of the load off of my brain. Okay. 
but I am I'm a big I'm a big prep guy. So I like to be sure that the car is ready ahead of time. If I'm working on the car two days in advance, that's short notice for me. I I just okay. I can't do it. I I like to have all the wheels on, ready to go with several days, preferably a week in advance would be great. Um, you don't have like concerns. See, when I do that, I occasionally do that and and I'll and I'll prep like the race motorcycles. And we'll have a race on Saturday, and I'll have them prepped on, like, Tuesday. And then I spend three days in my own head wondering what I missed. But if I get them done on, like, Thursday afternoon, it's actually slightly less concerning because I don't mm. just walk out to the garage and stare at them mm. and think about it and wonder. And, you know, because motorcycles, you have all, like, safety-wired shut and stuff. And looking at the, at the oil fill cap that's safety-wired closed drives me insane because I'm always like, but, but maybe... Maybe they're not full of oil. I yeah. don't know. Maybe. <laughs> See, it's the opposite for me. If if I don't have it in time, I'm afraid or I know, I know that I'm going to miss something. So by like okay. having everything done, it allows me time to remember what I know for a fact that I've already forgotten. All right. But but it's, under but it's underneath a confidence thing. Yeah. Well, exactly. And it's underneath that thing that this is where the self-talk becomes really interesting. It's not just what you tell yourself like, oh, be sure you're you're not going to forget it. Underneath that, it's, oh, you're going to forget something. And then a level underneath that is that you aren't very good at doing this. There's levels right. on levels <laughs> on levels on levels here so often what you tell yourself there's at least easily at least two other levels down to that and that is what's very important uh to get down to and acknowledge so that's in prep um and we can we can go through different like parts of it so we've got prep we've got during a race and we've got after a race so kind of three main aspects. Yeah. Um, during a race, um, I think, presents the biggest challenges. Because I know for me personally, when I'm driving, uh, part of why I enjoy driving is because of the focus aspect of it. Is most of the time I'm completely able to shut down the outside world anything okay. that's happening in my life and I am just able to focus intently on this one thing for 20 minutes and that's it. Yeah, right. It's complete focus. Right. But during that complete focus, I still talk to myself. All drivers talk to themselves. Um, right. You can plan the best race start that you can and it never goes the way that you think it's going to. Uh, the way that you want to make a pass or you want to try to stay ahead of somebody never goes the way that you think it do. So I guess, Seth, in, for you, how do you manage your self-talk primarily when things don't go the way that you think 
they should or the way that you would want them to? What What are you actually saying to yourself? Uh, <laughs> I would say, if you ask, how do I manage my self-talk, my answer would be terribly. Um, uh, so if you go down, if we just, let's start at the start. You said you do self-talk at the start, right? Um, I am uh, terrible at starts. Um, I don't know. I actually, I do know why. Um, it's because I have a tendency be, because we do we do standing starts with motorcycles, and you generally standing start halfway down the straightaway, mm-hmm. and my brake points are so automatic that I even if I get a good start and I'm going with the pack, I generally <laughs> I generally hit the brakes like two brake markers before everyone else in the group. Yep. Um, so even if I do like a really good job, the whole group ends up driving by me when we start hitting brake markers. And I can tell myself on the starting line, okay, don't do that. And I'll still do it. Um, I haven't figured out a way to fix that yet. Um, but there's there's definitely an like at the end of every straightaway, in basically every race I've done, there's an oh damn it moment. <laughs> do you, do you get I, mad at yourself? Uh, do you just like, well, I'll I'll try to fix that next time, or what's? It's it's sort of a giggling frustration because I you know because because I have stopped thinking about the the re, part of the reason I mess up is because I've stopped consciously thinking about the brake marker. Right, I'm so overwhelmed with the fact that I have this this buzzing group of motorcycles around me that that everything sort of goes on autopilot like the physical aspect of riding goes on autopilot mm-hmm. and and i have as much stuff as i can possibly think about and it's not until i make a mistake that i go back into conscious thought and i start talking to myself mm. and then i have to sort of like go okay like out loud i'm going all right now how do i handle this um so you almost and, you almost need a mistake towards the beginning to jolt you into what's consciously interacting with what's happening. Yeah, the the times I have been successful getting into a corner early, I don't really start thinking until halfway through the first lap. Hmm. Um, it it's just it's just purely, you know, it's it's hitting your brake markers, hitting your turn in points, you know, early on throttle, doing all of those things. And I'm doing those, you know, and I'm, I'm almost saying that out loud to myself. You know, I'm, I'm going brake, turn in, accelerate, go, tuck against the bike. And, and I repeat those words to myself physically, like the instructions of racing rather than, rather than, ah, crap, what do I do now? And it's not yeah. until I make a mistake and the plan has all fallen. And it's not that I have a plan, but like like I have a lap so I'm talking myself through a lap and as long as the lap is going well I just talk myself through the lap it's when things go all pear-shaped that I start like my ability to talk myself through the lap goes away and I'm like ah crap how do I fix it now yeah um and that happens as I said usually in the first corner because that's where I'm (laughs) I'm making my first mistake yeah um and I'm on the uh the radio with uh Becky my uh, crew chief and person of extraordinary talent and indeed it's it, it's interesting that I, I discovered sometime last year that my 
feet and my hands do what my mouth say, not what I'm thinking. Okay. <laughs> so I discovered last year when I was had my stock stock motor, even around this this one particular set of turns at Gingerman, turn eight and nine, um, that I could take that flat, but I had to say that as I was doing it. <laughs> keep your foot down, keep your foot down, you're gonna be okay, you're gonna be okay, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. And as long as I said it, my right foot would stay down. If I didn't, the the little gremlins in my head, the, the kind of fear of, oh crap, you know, the back end's gonna step out. But what I find interesting, and certainly in my own self-talk and, and those that I've those that I've discussed with, it's it's how they treat themselves during during a race and and especially well let, let's back up real quick let's talk about like right before or during a start of a race some people okay. really need to know like they need to hype themselves up they need to be like right yeah i'm the best i've got i'm totally prepared i've got 20 different plans for my start with all these branches coming down if a if a happens then i go to plan b and then plan b's got an a and a b situation that i can totally f- work into i know the car like just really hyping themselves up and then i also know a few drivers who go in very humble that they totally respect the other drivers around them not to say the other kinds don't but they totally respect them. They think that actually these drivers have certainly have at least the potential of beating them, if not the outright certainty that they're going to beat them. And right. that this sense of humility breeds um, a vigilance and an awareness in these racing situations that pushes them to do the best that they absolutely can. Which... Where do you fall in? Do you do you need to hype yourself up through your self-talk, or are you a little more subdued? Are you somewhere in between? I am. I am definitely the most self-deprecating person on the start line, or at least I feel like I am. Um, Tell me about that. Inevitably, I feel. I don't want to feel. I don't want to say I feel like I don't belong here. But there is a there is definitely a sense of this. It would probably be better for everybody if I was at the back, because um, <laughs> mm. me being right in the thick of things is definitely not going to make this a better situation. Um, Interesting. That's that's a very emotional. It, it's I don't want to say I don't say that out loud, but that's it's a visceral emotional feeling of being mixed up in the middle of this is not the place I want to be at the same time acknowledging that's the only way you're going to do well in a race that's six laps long right um you have to be you know and you know that from from how short grid life races are right or from GLTC races are like if you if you lose eight places on the start you don't have enough time to make eight places back up you're in in trouble you're in trouble yeah and and so it's very much like that and in yeah, I don't even know where I'm going from there. I, I think I should be more positive. 
but I don't quite know how to do that um, because I get very emotionally wrapped up in it and into the emotional side of it in the intellectual side of it battle each other and in in general the intellectual side gets pushed out and it's I'm left with purely the emotional side um, we we are d- despite what people may think we are not rational beings really we are emotional <laughs> beings who sometimes occasionally put some thought into things right what how are you on the starting line like what's from 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 a m- 10 seconds before you see the green and you guys do a rolling start so it's a little bit different yes. it's it's an action start rather than having to sit there in your own head but yeah but from 10 seconds before to the first corner what what are you doing or or from half a lap before as you guys are gritting up until you know through the flag you know through the green flag through the first corner what's your what are you trying to do and then what do you really do i would i would go back even just a little bit farther um it it really helps to have becky there like i said i'm a planner i need to be sure everything's in its proper place and to be able to rely on somebody who has torqued the wheels who has checked for leaks who has made all the uh adjustments that we've talked about and somebody who checks over my safety equipment once I put it on is just, I can put that part aside and just trust that that's been taken care of, which allows me. Do you find it easier to trust her than to trust yourself? Is that what's going on? Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yes. And, and good answer. And not necessarily easy. I, I do, um, but it just allows me to expend the limited amount of energy and time that I have to focus more on driving. Okay. So rather than you know be sign- sitting in grid wondering, shoot, I'm not sure if, I can't remember if I checked that. Oh, well, I guess we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, Send it. Yeah. Um, I can trust that, that she did that. And then while I'm in grid, um, I like to see who's around me. I like to see who's in front of me, who's behind me. Um, I've been fortunate enough enough to race with these uh, women and men that I know. um, I know the people I've raced with. I know the people I've gone door to door with. So by and large, I know I can trust them. Sometimes there's a new person and I'll just need to make a mental note that don't really know how this uh, woman or man races. So I'm just going to have to be a little bit more aware when I'm around them. And then basically just talking through my strategy, um, you know, wanting to control my line at the start, really control the track in terms of who I'm next to and just, you know, try to try to get on that green flag as quick as I can. And then out. And by by getting on the flag, that helps you control who pulls up next to you, that sort of thing. I mean, is is that so for you? Is is that part of controlling it? Yeah. Getting a good start is part of controlling. I mean, getting a a good start helps you. Obviously, it helps you be where you want to be, but it helps you control the situation com- as much as you can. Sure. Yeah. It, it's 
visually it's a lot easier to see if I'm passing people rather than being passed. Um, okay. Just have, you've got a better field of vision in front of you than you do behind you. Even though, especially race starts, you still need to be aware of everything behind you. <laughs> right. Um, but what, what I found last year going into this year is last year I was very more of what you said I was very humble very grateful to even be a part of that crew and not to say I still am certainly that way Um, but what I found to this year is I've been trying harder (laughs) (laughs) and um, really focused on the performance uh, my own performance during a race and um, hoping that, certainly hoping that the results echo that. And I've found a lot more frustration in that. Um, and stay. Why do you think? Why do you think that is? Well, and and one to stay on the self-talk aspect of this. Okay. What I've what I've found is that um, I'm a lot more critical of mistakes and things that happen. Um, but I'm getting better at putting them away quicker. Does that make sense? All right. Yeah, that makes sense. So if if I drop two wheels off track, lose a spot. If I um, break too early, if I you know and anything like this. If I you know make a dumb move and. Or if I miss a shift at Road America and I get passed by three people instantly, something that actually <laughs> happened, um, I'm able to just say crap and then move on. Where last year okay. I was a lot harder on myself for a lot longer. Oddly enough, I expected okay. more out of myself last year. And there's there's one instance of this in particular and i'd like to have him on the show at some point because it's a very formative experience for me especially in terms of this podcast is last year at road america um i was certainly one of the slower cars and i was going i was behind this mercedes e190 i like that car by the way just because i do big old girl and um, my, I could freight train them through the carousel, but they had a lot more speed on me. So I would right. come out of the carousel with like seven miles, five, seven miles an hour on them. And on this one particular lap, I was coming up behind them, but I didn't want to go next to them into the kink. So I had to back yeah. off a little bit. Underst- understandable. Yeah. So I was up this E190's butt going into the kink. And another driver, uh, Ben, in his uh, red spec, crappy spec Miata was right behind me. I mean, we were a proper train going into the kink. And the E190 driver uh, did a full break, not full, but elongated break at the turn end point for the kink okay that that sounds exciting boy was I pissed (laughs) dude and 
uh, it's it's interesting because we've we've had to revisit. He and I talked afterwards. That ruined the rest of my race. I was vocally irritated, let's say, um, but I let that get in my head. That essentially, you know, I was saying that you know, I can't believe he did that. That was really dangerous. And at the root of it, there is I I got scared. Like, legitimately right. scared. Because right. I had a car directly in front of me. I thought I was going to hit. Thought the car behind me was going to hit. In, I think, easily the most dangerous part of the track at Road America. Yeah. And I got freaked out. And I just, I didn't want to be there very much anymore. I just felt like the race was... R- scrubbed from then on (laughs) but but it felt like what i was essentially at the root of it telling myself is that things have to go perfectly otherwise it's not worth doing or you know i just want everything to go according to my plan or i want to have control of everything kind of choose your own adventure in there all right but that was the kind of self-talk I was engaged in at the time and through. Okay. And it's, I think it's really especially in your driving and even off the track in times of crisis and trauma and pain. It's, it's really in those moments that we meet ourselves. <laughs> and and I, I don't want to sound like all ethereal and woo-woo-y, but... It's in those moments that you really find out who you are in a very like visceral way, whether you want to or not. Yeah, they're very revealing. Because um, as you as you talk about that stuff, those sorts of things have never really bothered me um, in the way that you're describing. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's interesting for me to hear you talk about that because that's not an experience that I've had um, because I feel like I make mistakes all the time. And the, the idea of a mistake derailing me seems impossible because I would spend, I would sp- <laughs> that's all I would do is be derailed. Interesting. Um, and so I have, that's, I it, have that's no interesting. That's, that is something that's happening is there's this thought that I'm telling myself that, I am, I am actually capable of driving perfectly, which is absurd. <laughs> no, but but you you read a lot about that. I've heard a lot of people talk about you know visualize the perfect race, you know visualize the perfect lap, visualize the perfect corner, and to some extent, I've I've always heard them say that and and think that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because I spend. For me, uh, driving on track and racing is largely about reacting to what has happened, hmm. um, okay. especially with other people, um, because I don't feel like I feel like I I can control individual circumstances, but I can't. There, there's too much stuff going on, so I don't really worry about it. Um, you know, I have people especially especially younger inexperienced riders you get a 10 year old in front of you who's riding a motorcycle and they just do something differently um and there there's no way that i 
get upset at them or me. I just sort of figure out how to deal with it. Sure. And that's how I've always that's how I've always been. Um, you know, when I do you know doing DEs in cars, doing time trials in cars, it was the same way. Um, so hearing you talk about that, like like they've somebody has done something to ruin your perfect race, <laughs> is is not something I have ever considered. Yeah. Um, and again, so this is largely I like, I last like hearing year. About this. No, but but and but you're making a transition away from that, right? Yes. I, I feel like a guru because no, I, I feel like no, no. I'm already in the place that Scott's trying to be. That makes me feel really good. There you go. <laughs> well, and we we talked a little bit about this aspect in the the Midwest Festival wrap up. Um, how you talk to yourself after you feel like you performed well. Right. And by a few metrics, I'd have a couple races where I performed well and I was, I couldn't enjoy it. I would not let myself enjoy (laughs) it. Um, How do you, what's, what's the kind of self-talk that, that you engage in when you feel like you've had a good performance? Uh, I don't know that I ever feel like I've had a good performance. I don't. (laughs) Just self-critical, aren't you? Yeah, I'm. I'm so self-critical of stuff. I mean, I, I've won a race or two, um, and I've won some battles where I was like, I did a good job winning that battle. But I usually feel like I like I got away with something, mm-hmm. not like that I earned it, but like, holy cow, I'm glad I didn't screw that up. Is as much as like I feel like I did well. Um, so I very. Very seldom, and and this isn't just this isn't just racing. This is me in life. I very seldom pat myself on the back, and I'm like, I, I did good. I kicked ass at that. That's just that's not how I'm wired. Sure. Um. Um. So I think as you're talking about some of this, I wonder how much of this uh, is is off track, Scott, as well as on track, Scott, because so much of what I'm talking about is on track Seth is just an extension of off track Seth. It's yes. I'm the same person. Um, I treat myself basically the same, whether I'm racing or doing anything. Um, yes. maybe I'm super boring in that way. Like there is no, there is no special race. Me. There's just me. Yeah. How, uh, how you for do better anything or for worse. Yeah. And, and, and since we've said that, I, I find myself being like that, but, um, and the more I analyze myself, the more I'm like, this isn't really very exciting at all because I'm just me. Yeah. Um, and and identifying me in one part of my life is really identifying me in in most parts of my life. Yes. Um, so uh, are you? Is that true for you as well? Yeah. I mean, when you find yourself hypercritical on the track and go, oh, I screwed that up," even when you did well, do you find yourself? doing that in your regular life as well yes absolutely i mean that's okay that's, so that's, so that's, that's not Scott. even a question <laughs> <laughs> that's just fact now what what i think is interesting is that i often hear a lot of people say that they're their own worst critic that they right and and i find that interesting but i think where that comes from has to be a lot of different places for a lot of different people for myself, I know when I am 
Well, let's let's do this exercise we we talked about before the podcast. So Seth and I have thought up a few things, like a few lines or ideas that we tell ourselves. And we'd like to share those. We're going to be a little vulnerable here. We're going to tell you those those few things that we tell ourselves probably on a not infrequent basis. <laughs> and then we're we're going to try and exercise right after that, see how it goes. So we definitely did not talk about who's going to go first. <laughs> um, did we write these down? I didn't. I just, I, I, I know. I didn't write these down I either. I know them. Okay, I got stuff in my head too. Okay, cool. Why don't you go and then I'll go and then... So so am, am I supposed to tell you what I tell myself and sound how horrible that is? Is that what we're supposed to do? Yeah, just tell look, one thing that you often tell yourself. I am not very good at this. Or if I said it out loud to you, I would look at you and say, Scott, you're really not very good at racing. When I say... When I say that to you, I'm like, dude, I don't say that to people in real life, like ever. Right. But I say it to myself all the time. That you're not very good at X, Y, and yeah, Z. Yeah, that I'm not. That that, I, that I, I'm I'm okay at riding a motorcycle, but I'm really not very good at racing a motorcycle. And if I said that to you, I'd be like, Scott, you're. I mean, you're you're okay at driving cars. I mean, I've seen you do a lap. You're okay. You're really not very good at racing, though. Yeah. Like. <laughs> to to say to you what I would say to myself all the time would make me a terrible person. Yeah. Yes, it would. Okay. Rude. So, so now you go. <laughs> um. So the the idea that I often tell myself is that when something bad happens, I should have seen that coming. But when something okay. good happens. Uh, don't enjoy it. It's probably not going to last. All right. So how do you verbalize that to me? Say those things to me. So, and, and essentially what we're doing, ladies and gentlemen, is when, when we talk to ourselves, I think it's, it would be a very healthy and a very beneficial thing to take a step back once you've identified what it is that you say to yourself and ask, would I say this to my mother or father? Would I say this to my best friend, my child, my boss? <laughs> Your boss may not be a good example. Um, right. But to somebody that you care deeply about, would you say these things? So, Seth, if, if you had a mistake in a race... Uh, which cost you five or ten positions. You're like, yeah, you should have seen that coming, man. Shit happens all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, yeah, of course it happened. You know, I, I of course, of course it happened because I did something. Like, of course I made that mistake. Is that what you're saying? Like, you're like Seth. Of course you made that mistake because you make these sorts of mistakes that cause you these problems. Not it. It's not even that personal. It's just like almost the universe okay. conspiring against you, sort of thing. Ah. And and concurrently that you know if you had a really good race, like if you won a race, be like, man, that's awesome. Boy, this next one, I don't know if you can keep that up. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if you can perform that well again. 
Yeah, that would be that would that would be it's cutting. fun to come into the pits and have somebody go. You did a good job. Probably not going to happen again. Yeah. That's that's great, man. <laughs> Enjoy it while it lasts. You know, it's. But but these are the things that you know I tell myself. So I these these are just a couple examples of ways that we can negatively talk to ourselves now without getting super analytical and psychoanalysis babble on it we can call these things tapes because more often than not the way that we negatively talk to ourselves and even the way that we overinflate the positives to ourselves these are tapes or cds if you're of that generation or MP3s, whatever. <laughs> there's still a whole bunch of there's whatever. still a whole bunch of people half our age who are going. What are you yeah. guys talking tapes, about? You know, tapes, you know. You got them tapes like like too close like to a tapes. magnet and <laughs> totally out of there. But you have these different tracks, these different songs that you put in at different times, and most often they're actually not from you. Most often when these negative things or again these overinflated positive things that we tell ourselves in our own heads we're often not even consciously aware of the fact that these were probably things that have been told to us at some point in, in our lives that we just ingested and put them in, so far inside ourselves that all of a sudden it's our voice that's saying that, but those aren't our words. Do you know what I'm saying? Is that real? Is that real? Yes. You're freaking me out here. Uh, 100%. Because uh, you're, freak you're freaking me out. You're going to make me analyze my entire childhood before I can go to sleep tonight. And, and it might be childhood. It, it might have been like a really <laughs> tough job that you had. Um, okay. I was one of the things that helped me in a previous line of work that I was in was you're never as bad as your worst critic. And you are never as good as your biggest supporter. So okay. often when you are hypercritical or when you are super puffy about yourself, I'm not sure the, the word to use, <laughs> often those aren't you. Often they sound like you. It's in your voice, in your head, but those words and those ideas have been given to you by somebody else and you have just taken them on as things that you believe now because at one time or another it just felt right and it felt true enough that you took them into yourself. So, so when so I talk... Can you, ch can you change those tapes? 100%. But All right. so much effort. <laughs> <laughs> All the effort. And oftentimes what happens is that it takes conversations like this. It takes sitting down after a race and going through what you were thinking or even after the fact and saying, oh, I said this or this is how I reacted to that situation. And you just have to hope that every time you get a little bit closer, you catch yourself a little bit quicker until all of a sudden all right. you find yourself in the midst of that moment and you're able to say, okay, I used to do this, but we're going to do it this time. And then you can just move it even earlier and you can preemptively jump 
on the way that you're going to handle a situation before it even happens. You're going to become my sports psychologist this week. And years, years this takes. <laughs> and and the reason I shared what I did about how the universe conspires against you or how you, know, you should be careful um, when something goes well because inevitably things will turn bad is that was from um, my parents. Uh, my parents were okay. hugely Murphy's Law kind of fans. Um, that okay. when something goes wrong, it's of course it does. Everything goes wrong, and when something goes right, well, <laughs> might be a blessing in disguise. And so it was really hard for me to enjoy much because I was constantly just waiting for the other shoe to drop. But when it did, all right, that's what I was expecting. So it's this whole negative lane. So anyway. My childhood aside. No, no, because I could go into my childhood. Let, let me, let me, before you segue here, because, yeah, okay, because I think you're like, like we're having a moment, okay. Um, because uh, I don't know if we've discussed this before, but my, my, uh, my athletic ability as a child was like uh, the low percentile, like last kid picked in gym, kid who struck out at T ball, sure, that kid, right? Um, kid who had to wear a batting helmet in the outfield because of the two times I tried to catch a ball and it hit me in the face that kind of thing um <laughs> yeah I got a I got a lot of stories so but I think um my parents my mother in particular and oh god she might hear this said hi, to mom. me in a very positive hi mom said said to me in in the very most positive way you know she wasn't going to tell me that I was actually very good at this because like any kid knows, like you struck out in t-ball, you're not very good at this, right? <laughs> but she said, she said, you're not very good at this, but that's okay. We can focus on other things. You don't have to be good at hitting the ball to have a good time playing t-ball, right? Hmm. There are there are other aspects of being around people and you know going for ice cream at the end of the game, whether you won or lost, or enjoying the win, even if it was you that struck out and it didn't help anything. So you find something to be positive about, and and, and bless her heart, that was probably hard to do with me. Um, but but now as I think about that, that's largely what I do uh, when I race motorcycles. And I go, eh, you know, I finished fifth, and that's okay. Um, I enjoyed racing. I enjoy being here with everybody racing. I enjoy right. that my daughter's here racing with me. You know, somebody had to finish last, so everybody else got to finish in front of me, and didn't that make them feel good? Um, <laughs> and, and there, which is a thought I've had. And there are positives and negatives to these. I mean, there's a reason right. that the people in our lives uh, told us uh, what they did when something happened uh, they could have been protecting us they could have been trying to right. help us through a difficult situation even though so they were just focused on a very sh short timeline and not the long-term effects that that could happen right. 5 10 right. 20 years down the road so in these situations when we're on track when we're preparing when we're reviewing what just happened on track or we're talking to some of our competitors afterwards, I would, I would just encourage you all to take a moment and just th 
ask the question, why is that how I'm talking to myself? Why is that the phrase that I used? Why am I looking at this in this way? Because I just, I, I think it's for your performance as a race car driver, for your own mental health, mental well-being, and just you as a human being, I think it's worth analyzing because most, what I find is that most likely you're repeating somebody else's words and that may not be doing you the best service in that moment. That's fascinating. I'm fascinated that we've sort of talked about this before and I feel like these these are brand new words and I've heard them for the first time. There you go. So, uh, yeah, like like my head is melting. <laughs> Always a good place to end a podcast with melting brains. Indeed, yeah. Let, let let's end this here. So I so now I can go sit in a recliner and and just like stare off into space and go, what just happened? What Seth and I are finding right now with our podcast is it's a bit of a self perpetual motion machine. Self perpetual, sorry, a perpetual motion machine. And we right now we're coming up with as we're talking about three or four other podcasts that we'd love to do in the future. However, we are two white dudes um, who are podcasting, which is like one in how many million of podcasts there are with two white dudes talking. So if you have a <laughs> suggestion of topics that um, you'd like to hear about, people you'd like to hear from, uh, if you want to hear us just riff on something, I don't know, feel free to reach out to us. Um, you can find us Instagram and Facebook at trackwalking.com. Uh, this podcast, Trackwalking, is available through all your major podcast people and on the Tracktuned website with our brother and sister podcasts out there. And uh, I don't know. Did I hit it all? You hit too much. Too much. <laughs> no, you were uh, you were spectacular yeah. tonight. I feel like I need I feel like I need to go think of something for for a rebuttal no. podcast. I, I love you so much. <laughs> you butter my I love you, you, too, you butter my bread far too much. <laughs> All right. So for both of us here at Track Walking, I'm Scott, and I'm Seth. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll talk to you next week.